Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, updates from the federal government yesterday about proof of vaccination and wage subsidy programs. We're going to get into the details of that. The UK is closely watching a new mutation of the Delta variant that they're calling Delta Plus. Should we be worried? Well, we'll discuss it. And we chat about the CFL vaccine travel policy. It's all coming up at the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It was a busy day in Ottawa yesterday. Lots of new information about uh, COVID and about uh, some of the support plans for that. Uh, Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Christia Freeland, was beside uh, the Prime Minister yesterday making some of these announcements. Uh, Ms. Freeland says that there is a suite of pandemic aid programs for businesses and individuals that are going to come to an end tomorrow, Saturday. And uh, scheduled in their place, she has announced more direct subsidies to some of the still hurting sectors of the economy. She says the support now needs to be more narrow, more targeted, and less expensive. And we need to look forward to the day, now not too far off, when we will be able to bring it to an end entirely. Our unrelenting objective is to protect and create jobs and to drive economic growth. It is to ensure the strongest possible recovery for everyone. Well, not everybody's happy with the announcement for a variety of reasons, but to talk about the implications of this and uh, and some of the other announcements, because we're all gonna, also going to get into the uh, international proof of vaccination uh, announcement that the Prime Minister was into. And, uh, well, Aaron O'Toole's uh, latest take on what's going on with the uh, proof of vaccination in the Commons. Joining us to talk about all of this stuff and probably more is our good friend Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. Uh, happy Friday to you, Badger. Thanks for coming on today. Same to you, Bill. How are you? Good. We weren't surprised by these announcements, were we? That, that uh, We knew that the end date for these programs was going to be tomorrow. Uh, I didn't hear too many people saying, Keep, let's extend these even more. As a matter of fact, uh, I, more to the contrary, I heard an awful lot of people saying, I, I, I think this, these guys have served their purpose. Let's get out of here and try to get people back to work. Well, uh, Bill, this is seeming more and more to me like a game show. Like, Bill, this, you know, this prize is no longer available, but just a minute, there's more. You know, and there's in this case there's seven point four billion dollars more. Uh, it's not like we're. It's not like the federal government is turning off the tap here by any stretch. Uh, certainly, the the biggest one is the wage subsidy is it will be gone, and that's one that uh, critics were saying it's about time because whether it's you know hypocritical or not, but you know they're saying that they can't get people to you know take jobs because they're sitting at home still, you know, receiving CERB, and there's no incentive there. So when the tap is finally turned off for this wage uh, uh, subsidy, maybe, you know, maybe this uh, problem with trying to find workers will will subside somewhat. And, and I know, you know, some of the critics, and there's always going to be critics no matter what the announcement is, no matter what the government is, are saying, well, you know, the, the payment that is going to be reinstituted here is going to be only 300 bucks as opposed to 500 uh, but it's supposed to be for the worst of the worst. And I think it's she actually was talking about people that have lost their jobs because uh, of lockdowns. And, and there aren't any lockdowns going on right now. So uh, this may be a, a safety net, I guess. But uh, is it really even necessary? And, and how many people are actually going to qualify for it? Well, it's going to be, tar- as she said uh, yesterday, uh, Freeland said yesterday, it is going to be targeted. Rather than, you know, a, a sweeping uh, program that's available to darn near everybody, uh, this is going to be, like you said, for people that are in sectors that are, you know, uh, momentarily hard hit with uh, COVID or or just are in sectors that never did recover, 
So that's what this is about. And yes, it, it, it has been reduced, but it's still available for those people that are hard hit. And, and what's interesting now, I, I think, is that there's still going to be money available uh, for, for tourism. They call it the Tourism Hospitality Recovery Program, which is aimed at uh, hotels, tour operators, travel agencies, and restaurants. So there's still money there available for restaurants, for example, that have really had a tough time during, the, during this pandemic. So there's that. And there and there's others. It, it's not it's not like I say. It's not a broad brush like it was before. But there is still money available, and this this is. But at some point, Bill, this has all got to end, and, and and people have to understand that this you know this isn't going to last forever, and and nor nor can we afford to have it last forever. Well, you remember a year or so ago, you and I were talking about uh, one of the, the, I guess, related stories to this was because uh, we saw the immediate benefit of CERB. It, it, you know, I, I understand. I, I know there was some concern about, hey, anybody wants to apply, go ahead and apply. We'll sort this out later. And and it did cause a bit of a, a, a problem later down the road. But, of course, some people that probably got money that didn't deserve it. Uh, and, and those are always going to be concerns with government programs. But it did seem to work, and it probably saved an awful lot of people from bankruptcy and a lot of people from moving out of their houses. So good on them. But like you say, everything has its purpose, and once the purpose is done, you're fine. The concern right now is, you know, is is this actually as a disincentive right now? And the more owners I talk to, you know, in restaurants, bars, and, and uh, even in the tourism industry are saying, look, we can't get people to fill these jobs right now because some of them are sitting at home saying, why would I work for you if I'm going to sit at home and get 500 bucks anyway? Well, uh, yeah, and, and so not going to get I, it now. No. So this may be, uh, you know, what's needed to get people back into the reality here right now. I mean, they all told us at the time, even when they announced the revisions to these programs, there's a sunset clause. We're not doing this forever. But you remember there was even a discussion there that, hey, you know what we could do? Let's just morph the SERB benefit into uh, into a living wage program. Uh, and I know that, you know, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP would love to see that. And they still might have that debate once they get back to work in the middle of November. Uh, but for now, I think the government's looking to say, look, we need to just put the pause button on here. And, and you know, you can't be spending money. I mean, you can't be printing this in the in the basement there in Parliament Hill and just keep doling it out. I mean, at some point, we've got to understand that we've got to get back on our feet here financially. Well, what struck me also, Bill, on this one is that, you know, the government, the federal, you know, the federal liberals announced this, you know, $7.4 billion, but that hasn't been passed. I mean, you know, this hasn't even been dealt with in, in Parliament. So to say that this is a fait accompli is, is, you know, is not correct. I mean, it's still going to have to be debated. It's not going to have to be approved. I, I'm sure that the, uh, the NDP will line up with, with these uh, various programs, even though there is a you know, sunset clause in all of them. But, they, they'll, but given that this hasn't even been debated yet, there's one issue here that, and I made this prediction. I was doing our show on our sister station in Toronto on AM640 last night, uh, and we got talking about this. And uh, you remember when the, the SIR program was, was initiated, and it was going to be X number of dollars, and the NDP put pressure on the government and, and to increase that, and it was a minority parliament. Well, we're in the same circumstance right now. I will bet you dollars to donuts that when they get back to work, uh, the NDP are going to ask them to to kick in more money for these programs. That three hundred bucks may turn into four hundred, may even five hundred again. But the other element too is is small businesses. And you mentioned that there's going to be some assistance programs. I think she called this for the hardest hit uh, business recovery program. 
but you have to show with numbers that you've lost 50% of your business. And, and, and if you don't show that, you don't get a dime. And there's a lot of businesses right now that are hurting. It might be 35 or 40%, but it's been significant to them. I, I, I think I, I understand they have to draw the line someplace, but it just seems as that line was arbitrary. And there's a lot of people that are going to be left out of the program that probably do need a hand up for at least a short time anyway. Well, I've always believed all these these uh, you know these programs are uh, and the amounts set or percentages set are arbitrary. I, you know, this is just a guesstimate. You know, that could fluctuate. You know, as you said, with pressure from the new Democrats, that this could increase either you know or be decreased. But you know, the the new Democrats are going to want more money for for you know in terms of subsidies. Yeah, I I just don't. Bill, I don't think I don't think that this country, and it's easy for me to sit here and say that, but it's this country can afford much more. I mean, we are in a heck of a financial spot. Not that we can't get out of it. And I'm not suggesting that, but you, can we keep doling out money? And I, I don't think. Well, I the short answer is no. No. <laughs> But what we need to see here, I guess, there's some indicators that, you know, people are getting back on their feet and they are starting to go back to work right now. Uh, and maybe maybe Ford's announcement later on today that he's going to take some of these restrictions off uh, may be a, a bit of a catalyst for that, too. We can only hope so, because I know that small businesses are still hurting. And uh, and we want to see some positive signs and some positive economic growth there. And you're right, those what they call green shoots aren't really there yet, are they? No, they're not. But that is perfect segue. And I mean, in terms of, you know, the announcement later today from the premier, about loosening up restrictions on on uh, gyms and, and restaurants, I mean, how could they? You know, I mean, I people just look at this and say, how could you argue that there is this isn't the time to loosen restrictions, given that you're letting arenas fill with thousands of people, but that's all right, but you you can't you can't have more than a certain number of people, you know, fifty percent or whatever it was. And in a restaurant, uh, this was bound to happen. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. But they they have to move on this this restaurant business. It's just it, it can't continue. The restaurants are hurting, and they continue to hurt. And hopefully, with this announcement this afternoon, that things will change dramatically. Well, I hope so. And, and you know, I, I've been on record. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I mean, I've been nervous about some of the reopenings. And I told you I was even unsure about even going into restaurants, but we, I'm starting to do that. You know, the, the social distancing still and the masking if you're not at the table. And that's probably going to continue to a certain extent. I went, you know, I've been to the Ty Cat games at Tim Horton Field, feeling pretty comfortable about that. Even toying with the idea of going to the movies this week, go see the Bond movie. Because uh, they're at full capacity. Uh, and at some point, we've got to cross that line and get back and say, okay, we can do this because I am double vaccinated. And, and everybody else in that theater or in that stadium is double vaccinated. And we've, we we kept you know being told that, look, at, trust the science. Well, you know now we have to trust the science and say the science is working. And I think we have to make that next move. And, and maybe by cutting some of these programs off, they're going to force us into it. I got, I got one other thing I want to talk to you about before we go. Yeah. Uh, and that is uh, the, the, the saga of Aaron O'Toole and the, the proof of vaccination. Uh, there was an interesting twist on that this week, as you know, Badger, where a parliamentary committee uh, voted. Uh, this is a, an all-party parliamentary committee, although I guess the conservatives weren't at the meeting. Uh, they voted to say, if you don't show proof of vaccination, you don't get in the parliament buildings. 
end of sentence. And that includes MPs. And there was some pushback on that. And I know that some of your former colleagues, uh, John Iverson and a few other guys, are saying, well, they can't do that. That's, they don't have that jurisdiction. But I think what they did is they did Aaron O'Toole a favor because they took this albatross of an issue off his plate. Now he has to go to his caucus and say, look, it's not my idea, guys, but you've got to get vaccinated or you can't go to work. Uh, I, I bet he, quietly and, and probably privately, he's very relieved that this happened. Well, of course he is, because uh, you see, as you see, it, it, it takes it off his plate. He, you know, now can you know say, you know, it was uh, it, it was the in, in, internal internal economy that uh, board of internal economy that did this, and you know, it's not me, folks. You know, so don't blame me. But you know, he he at least is saying, come on. Let's move on. Let's do this. Let's. This is not an issue. These these people, these elected officials in Ottawa, are supposed to take a leadership role. And the fact that they we have people there that are saying, "No, you know, I'm not getting vaccinated. You can't force me to." Well, you shouldn't have to be forced to. It's for the betterment of the country, and that's the position you should take. Uh, it's. You know, I, I shouldn't be surprised at it, nor nor am I, I guess. But you really have to take you have to take that leadership role, or what are you doing there at all? A, a couple of points on that too, because we're going back to some of the talking points initially about the, the vaccination program, uh, and because one of the arguments is, well, you can't stop a, a duly elected member from going to their job. Nobody stopped. They're simply saying, look, it, you can't do it here. Uh, maybe you can work remotely if you want, if that's the way you want to serve your constituents. But it's, it's all the way back to this idea of consequences. If you choose not to get vaccinated, this is the consequence. You can't go into that building because you are a vector, a possible vector uh, to spread the virus. Period. In a sentence. It's going to be interesting to see uh, the uptake on that. And by the way, the other element, too, that you mentioned, uh, even if it is ruled and some constitutional experts have weighed in on this and say that committee doesn't have the authority to do that. Uh, what they can do is November 22nd, when they all get back there, whoever's going to get in there, they can vote on this and make it a parliamentary decision. And it's going to be so it's going to happen one way or another. They either listen to this committee or they wait until November 22nd and they're being told. And I, as I mentioned yesterday, does does Aaron O'Toole and the Conservative Caucus really want to go to that point where they're going to show up for work on the 22nd? This motion is passed and it will pass. Are they going to be escorted out of the out of the, the, the commons then because they're, they're in noncompliance? Is that the, the picture that they want Canadian people to see? Just, you know, the, the, the decision's been made now. Roll up your sleeve or don't come to work. That's all there is to it. That, that's right. Before we go, Bill, this is kind of associated with that, but I'll be very interested to see how that issue at Leona Station, where they've told that uh, couple that wanted to get married there that they, they can't get their $11,000 back because they, they're not vaccinated. That's going to be interesting to see how that all ends up. Well, yeah, and it's variations on the theme that we've heard. And, and, you know, and again, the story I heard that was reported anyway was just, well, we're not sure yet. We want to see. And then it's, it's a lame excuse, but it's a decision they made, and this is the consequence to it. And, and 11 grand's a lot of money. I understand oh. that. But, uh, you know, you, it, was, it was your choice not to get vaccinated, and you knew that there were going to be consequences. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, lawyers will be involved, as they say, right? that one for sure. Yeah. Hey, Badger, have a great weekend. Always a pleasure getting together to uh, do the rundown on this. Thanks so much. Okay, Bill. Thank you.
Richard Brennan, of course, who covered Queens Park and, uh, and Parliament Hill for so many years uh, for the Toronto Star newspaper chain. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we get some of these plans about going into step three, as they call it here on Ontario, there are some concerns that lifting more measures could actually lead to a sharp rise in new infections. Case in point, in the UK, all remaining measures were lifted about three months ago. And despite large vaccination numbers, case counts are on the rise again. Global's Redmond Shannon has more. The UK is rolling out booster shots to the vulnerable and healthcare workers. Evidence from Israel suggests that will re-flatten the curve. But Britain only recently started vaccinating under 18s, and that could be a problem. At the moment, the epidemic is still being driven in the UK by teenagers and younger adults. It's clear that the vaccination program in 12 to 15 year olds is not going very well. The worry is that autumn winter is going to get very, very messy. The British government says it is keeping a close eye on the so-called Delta Plus variant, which experts say is slightly more transmissible and resilient. It says if pressure on the National Health Service becomes too much this winter, then vaccine passports and masks may return. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Well, uh, and thank you, Redmond. The, the, the concern here, of course, is are we going too quickly here? I, I know we want to. We want to get this over with. We want to put it in the rearview mirror. But what are the consequences of that? And this, uh, you know, it, what we're getting from the UK here right now uh, is instructive and needs to be part of that discussion. Try to get some clarity on this. Uh, Please to welcome back to the program, Sam Fizelli. Sam is the Director of Research with Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, Sam, pleasure to have you back on the program. Hope you're doing well these days. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, doing, uh, doing fine. Still here. Good no to- COVID yet. Well, <laughs> fingers crossed. But what, how? What's the reaction in the UK these days, Sam? About the, the fact that restrictions are lifted. It's not business as usual. I know that Boris Johnson was saying, "Look, at uh, this isn't over yet." He was very cautious about this when he made the announcement. But now yeah. we're starting to see new cases, uh, and and a lot of people are starting to be concerned about this variant on the variant. What's what's the word on the street down there? Okay, lots of questions there, Bill. So let's start with the, um, you know, our restrictions lifted here. I mean, you can do pretty much what you want here. Con- concerts are back, pubs are open, bars are open, restaurants are open. People have a choice as to where to, whether to wear a mask or not. So really, the only difference would be that not everybody is rushing in the morning to, to get to their offices. So, uh, and some people still wear masks on the, on the trains, depending on time, the time you catch them, et cetera. So, the, the, the rules, if you like, have been lightened up, but people are still observing some of the uh, uh, non, non-pharmaceutical interventions, as we call them. Um, in terms of um, the variant of a variant of a variant, um, we've got, we, you know, we do have a, a, a one of the uh, children of Delta, if you want to call it that, that is, seems to be taking hold in um, in the UK, um, uh, up to about about eight or nine percent of the cases currently are the A1, AY spot four, spot two subvariant of Delta. So, but that you know the rise, it's not a a thing that we need to particularly worry about yet. And and with that, uh, but they always tell us the barometer here is not necessarily new cases; it's hospitalizations and 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 God forbid, you know, intensive care admissions. Uh, are those are those numbers steady? Are they are they leveling off, or are, are, is there an area of concern there too, Sam? Well, so they had fallen back down quite a way, and there's absolutely a disconnect now between the number of cases and number of hospitalizations. But inevitably because whoever's been either infected or vaccinated, it's not 100%, it's not a science, that, 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 but it is a science. It's not like that everybody is equally protected by either an infection 
or the vaccine. So there will be people who, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the immune response wasn't strong enough, and therefore they are susceptible. And I think that's where we're getting a a rise, potentially, in people who are um, uh, succumbing to the disease in the more severe form. But certainly, there's a major disconnect, and you're not seeing at all the same rise as you would have expected if there was been no vaccination. Are they comfortable with the vaccination rate on, on a UK basis? I mean, you know, through the the, the whole uh, area right there. Uh, what, what, where are you right now? My understanding is it was at high 80s, wasn't it, at one point? Yeah, on the, on the two doses, depending on how you measure it, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody everybody likes their metrics. So here we're talking about the percentage of adults who have been vaccinated, and it's it's in the it's in the 80s. Yes, absolutely. But but of course, there's a lot of the cases that are in the 12 to 15 to 18 year old range, which is a group that's being a little slower in terms of being vaccinated. Now, the UK is putting a bit of a drive into getting that group vaccinated. And then, of course, you have uh, the booster doses that are coming, and that's a bit slower than expected. Uh, Why? Possibly a little bit of uh, slow uptake from the uh, demand side, and perhaps there's a problem with the supply because you have to have all these medical professionals to deliver it, and they have other stuff to do as well. So there's probably a combination of that. But there's certainly now a push advertising campaign. The health minister got on TV, etc., trying to get people to go and get that third shot to, as you said earlier on, flatten that curve and hopefully bring it down like Israel has. Well, exactly. It's it's always instructive, and that's why I'm so glad you've got some time to talk to us about this to to get the barometer of what's going on. It's it's almost like we're watching because what is happening in the UK invariably sends to. And now we already have some cases here in Canada, apparently, of as you say, of the Delta Plus, uh, yeah. but they're they're insignificant numbers apparently at this stage. But how you know the UK responds and how the the public health departments respond. Uh, is going to be very instructive as to how we're actually yeah. going to do this too, uh, because we're just starting to get uh, into this idea about third vaccines. And I know there's some trepidation about that now too. But is it, is it commonly accepted now uh, in the UK, Sam? That that yeah, about six months after that second shot, that second dose of the vaccine, uh, there's a pretty good chance that the vaccine does wear down and not not necessarily go to zero, but you may need that booster. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure how much of this rising number of cases is due to a waning of 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 antibodies uh, and how much of it is due to the fact that delta is just very good at infecting people if you had a 100 percent protection which of course you didn't before the, the speed with which delta infects would probably have eaten and eroded quite a bit of that and that di- dynamic and that conversation is still going to continue over the next um, few months as people try and get to the bottom of what is it that's been going on. But nevertheless, whatever the reason is, if you boost those antibodies up tenfold in people, it does give them that extra protection, especially in the um, um, uh, nasal tract, in the, in, in the respiratory tract. But Bill, I wanted to highlight something else to you. There are other countries, like you know that I, I split my life half and half between France and England. And mm-hmm. In France, we have a pretty open society. Restaurants are open, bars are open, nightclubs are open. There aren't really many restrictions apart from you have to have this pass to get into a restaurant that shows that you're vaccinated. And you have to uh, wear masks in public places. So, And some of that's been re- uh, removed recently. So I think that we have a situation here that, that pretty clearly to me suggests that we're, um, it, it is a very specific UK thing. And it's probably to do with the fact that vaccinations in the UK were done about three months before and earlier. What about the proof of vaccination? That's a contentious topic here in Ontario. The, the provincial government has rolled out their plan. 
uh, yesterday the Prime Minister in Ottawa uh, talked about the, the travel uh, proof of vaccination plan and we knew that was coming. I mean, if everyone else is doing it, we pretty much have to fall in line. But uh, there was provincial buy-in from, from that, from both, just about all of the provinces in this too. Uh, so, and they're always cautioning Sam, you know, saying this is not permanent, but you know, it's something we need to do for right now. For all you people that think this is going to be an infringement on, on, on civil rights and things of this nature. Mm. Uh, now you mentioned in France that the proof of vaccination is still necessary. What about in the UK? If they, was that no. one of the restrictions they lifted? No, no, they didn't do that at all. We don't have any. Oh, I you know, I just went to I just went to a restaurant this, today for lunch, and nobody asked the question. So, I mean, they, they, let's not forget this. This is, uh, if you want to call it a, an infringement of personal uh, uh, um, freedom, in France they're not saying uh, you have to be vaccinated. They're saying if you want to go to X space or Y space or Z space, um, you're going to have to prove that you're vaccinated. So that's slightly different. And, and the other thing I think is important to realize that once you have an 80 or 90% vaccinated population, the, the value of those passes or those sanitary, whatever you want to call them, vaccine passports, is to um, encourage people to go and get vaccinated. So I had dinner in France the other night. I had some friends who said, I can't come. I don't have my, um, my dose yet. She had been infected before she's waiting to get her, her vaccine dose. So I don't have my sanitary pass. I'm not coming. So that's a choice people make. It's a pity that she couldn't make it. But as soon as she has her vaccine, that pass will work and she'll be able to come. So it's more about enticing people to go and get the vaccine. And if you're at the 80, 90% level, how much do you need it? Which is why I think people say it's not permanent, right? Because at some point, you get to a point that either people have been infected or vaccinated, in which case you move on. Sam, I'm glad you brought up the, the example of, of France. Uh, President Macron, uh, by my recollection, was actually one of the first countries to uh, to talk about this. Hey, no proof of vaccination, you don't go in someplace. And uh, before no. they even implemented that, the day they announced it, as you reported to us, I think we had that conversation the next day, uh, they said there was a huge spike in, in people wanting to get vaccinated, and which is exactly, as you say, the desired Im impact that they wanted to have there. Uh, does it work now, or are people onto this? Because uh, we're still clinging to this idea of herd immunity. We, we've got a, a case here, in, right here in Hamilton, as a matter of fact, of a, uh, a couple that booked a rather grand hall here for their wedding, uh, and neither one of them are vaccinated, and the hall basically said, you can't have the event here. As a matter of fact, you don't right. get your deposit back. Uh, because it was your choice, uh, you know. It's it's not an unforeseen circumstance. Now that's probably going to go through lawyers and everything else. But it's 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 showing you where we are and, and where you know juxtapose that with what's happening in the UK and what's happening in France right now. Uh, we're still moving awfully cautiously, and I, there's an argument here uh, that maybe we're being too cautious. And and based on the, what you've seen in both France and in the UK, uh, is is it? I don't necessarily say throw you know caution to the wind here. But, but can we move forward confidently here and say, look, we're not going to see these spikes like we saw a year ago? No, I think, I think that, that's a fallacy. I think, I think the spikes will come as soon as people have got these antibody levels that, that return back to normal. Now, maybe after the third dose, because you start at such a high level, it would take time to come down. But you do not keep your antibody levels sky high for every infection that your body has seen. That is not how it works, because otherwise you'll be full of antibodies and your blood wouldn't be circulating. So the, the reality is that we need, this is how our immune system works. We're going to have to get used to this, um, this fact that we're going to get um, uh, a rise in cases again. And perhaps that's, that's, if a country wants to run its life or the world decides that they want to run their life, lives by keeping the number of infections, uh, symptomatic infections, not hospitals, not death, 
down, then you're going to have to keep thinking about going back and boosting that antibody level once a year, probably. Um, is that what we want to do? Then that's a decision we have to make. And this is not talking about variants escaping, etc. This is just simply saying, whatever happens when your antibody levels fall, you will have a higher risk of being infected. Your cases will go up. And that's just, that's just exactly what to be expected. So we have to find a, a, a formula by which we can decide, right, now, or you, you do, right? Now we're going to open up and we're going to see how it goes. If cases start rising, we learn a little bit more about how long that protection, extra protection lasts after dose three. And then perhaps we think about doing another round of um, fourth sh shots into this, into uh, October, November time. So, but let's not forget, we're not talking about hospitalizations. We're not talking about deaths here. And it's the nature of coronaviruses, as we've learned over the last 19 months. I mean, they're, 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 these things are morphing because they want to survive and they, they change so that they can survive and they become resistant to the, to the vaccines. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, the, the worst case scenario, I guess, is that one of these variants is, is, is totally resistant to the vaccine. We're not there yet. And that's one of the assurances that I know that uh, the UK officials have given that, uh, yeah, you, it is more transmissible, but uh, the vaccines still seem to be effective. So we're not in that danger zone. And I don't, I don't get the sense anybody's thinking that's going to happen anytime soon, do you? No, no, because there is there, there, the, the whole point of the vaccination is not necessarily to block an infection because that's a really tough thing to ask of a vaccine. Perhaps for the first month or two, when you have, as I've called it, sky-high levels of antibodies circulating in your blood, you are relatively well protected against an infection. But in the longer term, as that level falls, what your immune system is doing is that it, it sees an infection coming and it goes, well, I know this one, I'm gonna try and limit it doing anything bad to the, to, to the body in terms of more severe disease. That's what it's supposed to do. And that is, that is exactly what it's doing. And there are, parts of this virus that are mutating currently that impact that antibody clearance. There are lots of other parts of the immune system, or at least two, two other parts of the immune system that are capable of recognizing infected cells, and those are much harder to bypass for the virus. Um, and the hope is that it won't. If it does, I'm pretty sure we can make another vaccine to deal with it. Well, and that's one of the other things we've been told, too, is that they're working in the labs right now. Uh, you know, they didn't say, hey, our work here is done. Let's you know, take the rest of the day off. They're, they're working on those variations, which is gratifying. I got to ask you one other thing, because there's, again, something that's going on here uh, in Ontario, and I'm wondering about the UK, uh, we're heading into flu season. And, and you know, the flu season was almost non-existent last year because, but well, let's yeah. face it, we were in lockdowns, we were masking, we were doing everything. All the things to try to protect us from COVID were also protecting us from the flu. Uh, there's a concern here among medical experts that because we're letting our guard down and not doing that, that we could have this perfect storm of possibly another spike because we're moving indoors, plus a, a, a more than rigorous flu uh, season because we're not getting vaccinated. Uh, is, is, are they concerned about that? Are officials concerned about that, that confluence that we talked about last year of a flu season and perhaps a spike in COVID? Absolutely. Absolutely is the, is the worry that, 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 that exists in the UK and I think everywhere. Um, what I can tell you is that so far, the flu cases aren't, aren't really at the level that, I would, that, that anyone's worried about, but they are definitely there. There is a rise. There's no question about it. As people mix more, it's easier to pick up flu. Um, it's not as transmissible as, as Delta, for example, but it's easy to pick it up from uh, surfaces, etc. So, so that's where I think the, uh, the worry is um, that that would continue to, to spread going into the winter months, which is why there's a vaccination campaign for flu as well. And perhaps in the longer term, for those who are susceptible, 
50 plus, 60 plus year olds, uh, weaker folk with weaker immunities, um, they should get a, uh, a double shot every October, September, October time going into the winter to protect them against that. Yeah. And well, I've already talked to my pharmacy about that. And, and, and what is gratifying is because of that, uh, we're told now that they're probably going to be able to combine these in the next uh, yeah. little while that, that well, your flu shot is actually going to be a COVID shot too. It's all going to be in the same shot that you get. Uh, so you'll get right. double barreled action on situations like that. But again, it's, it's a, I guess, trying to convince people once again, that look at the, you know, the vaccinations are a key part of this. Uh, are we smarter than we were 18 months ago about this to, to say maybe even the flu shot's not a bad idea now, even though maybe I haven't had one for five or six years? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Bill, I'm 57 years old, right? So I've every year comes along, the office offers the vaccination, flu vaccination, and I've forgotten about it, haven't thought about it. This year, I'm thinking about it. So I'm pretty sure that the awareness, and we already know that most of the supply here has been soaked up. So the, the, the information is already telling us that people are more aware and more interested in being protected going into the winter, perhaps because they're also worried about they don't want to catch COVID. And I don't think anybody really wants to go back to a world where we were locked down and, and, and restricted from indoor dining, just getting on with our lives and, and what humans do, which is socialize. So th- th- I think because of that, people are more, more um, now, how long that will last? I don't know. I mean, is it going to be this year, next year, year after, and then everyone starts forgetting again? I, I will see. Well, I, I want you to stay well, my friend. Uh, we always enjoy our conversations uh, with you, uh, you to get an update of what's happening uh, on that side. And uh, we'll certainly look forward to the next couple of these, too. And hopefully we'll have some good news at this end, too. Thanks again, Sam. Always a pleasure you, having Bill. you on the show. Take care. Take care. Sam Fazelli, Director of Research with Bloomberg Intelligence, uh, speaking to us today from London. Uh, but as Sam has told us, he uh, spends half his time in France and uh, the other half, of course, over in the UK. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. New federal announcements, of course, about travel restrictions. We ta- heard the prime minister uh, yesterday announcing uh, the restrictions about proof of vaccination. And if you don't have proof of vaccination, uh, you don't get on a plane. You don't get on a train. Well, that's going to have an impact on the Canadian Football League, I would think, because they travel a lot uh, for games. Uh, now, it's not going into effect right away, but uh, it will go into effect, we're told, by the end of November. Well, there's a football game called the Grey Cup uh, that's after that, and uh, somebody from the West is going to represent that. I don't know who's going to be here from the East. We'd like to think it's going to be the Tiger Cats, but we'll see. Uh, so what? How is, the, how is the league dealing with this and with these travel restrictions? What kind of an impact is it having? I want to bring uh, Justin Duncan to the conversation. Justin, of course, is the founder of Three Down Nation and sports anchor at CHCH uh, News. Uh, Justin, thanks for jumping in on this today. Uh, something that kind of fell, I guess, below the radar for an awful lot of people, but uh, when the prime minister made this announcement about travel restrictions, I guess it hit home. It, it, how is the league going to handle something like this? Well, the league unilaterally has said that it's not going to allow players to travel even by car. You mentioned that the Grey Cup obviously is in Hamilton in December 2021. So everybody in the East Division is thinking, oh, well, the players that aren't vaccinated yet or don't want to by that time or have decided not to or continue to do so, they could just drive to the Grey Cup. Well, what about the West guys? Well, you know, they got that whole week. Maybe they can make the trip out there. But the CFL has come out and said, no, if you're unvaccinated, you're not playing in the Grey Cup playoffs, and that ultimately means if your team makes it to the CFL title game, you won't be there. That said, on the other side of the bill, the CFL Players Association and their lawyers are looking into the league unilaterally mandating this because they feel like that it could be not fair on their side. So there is still, I think, a battle to be had here. The, the 
the virus itself has been problematic, and we I guess they had just the one game canceled this year, didn't we, Justin? The uh, the Edmonton game in Toronto that was quite early in the season because there was an outbreak then. Uh, but by and large, it hasn't had to have much an impact. What what are the maybe just a reminder, our listeners? What are the parameters right now, vis a vis the CFL with the COVID policy about the vaccinations and percentage of the, of vaccinated players, etc. Yeah, essentially. So the league mandated threshold was 85% per team. There's eight teams over that now. The Ticats have been over that for a long time. And the league really feels like as they go along here, they're going to start pushing that, you know, 90 plus percent mark overall. There's still one team under 85%. And if you're under 85% and you have an outbreak like the Edmonton Elks, like say, and one of your games gets canceled, none of those players get paid. So that's really what you need to know on the vaccination front. They're marching forward. It does seem like a number of players who maybe didn't make the decision earlier in the season are realizing now that their livelihoods are at stake and they have a decision to be made. Trevor Harris would be one. Just traded back to the East Division with the Montreal Alouettes. He recently went down to the U.S., got the Johnson & Johnson shot, so he could potentially be good to go for the playoffs and Grey Cup if the Owls make it that far. I, we haven't had any of the, the vocal opponents to this like I have in other sports leagues. Have we? I remember there was a pushback from a lot of the NHL players and uh, a number of CFL or NFL players, rather, uh, when the vaccination programs were being announced there, uh, simply basically said, hell no, we're not going to do this, uh, including the Minnesota quarterback, as you might call, that said, I'd rather die from COVID vaccine than if I die of COVID than get a vaccine. Uh, it, it seems as if this is not much of an issue. And I know the Players Association are concerned uh, about players' rights and things of this nature, but I don't sense the militancy that we're hearing in some other circles. Yeah, I mean, there have been some players, some star players, I will say, behind the scenes that have not spoken publicly. The biggest one is James Wilder Jr., currently with the Elks, formerly with the Toronto Argos, just down the QEW as a star with them. He's come out and said that he feels like there's been a lot of pressure put on them from the owners, and he's unvaccinated, and that's the decision that he's going to continue to make. Now, for him... It's not going to matter because Edmonton's last in the West at two and seven, so they're not going to make the playoffs. And we'll see what this all looks like in 2022. But he's been the most vocal proponent. But sort of as you alluded to, Bill, there hasn't been stars come out against it like we've seen in other sports. But behind the scenes, there are still a handful of players, and a bunch of them reached out to James Wilder Jr. when he went public with it that are unvaccinated and feel like they're hiding. To be quite honest. What's this doing in the locker room? I know the protocol, as you mentioned, you know, if, if they don't reach that threshold and there's a cancel game, they don't get paid. Well, that's that's problematic. It means everybody gets punished for, you know, the, the worker, the non-worker, I guess, of a few people. And that's that's something. But is there, are there camps here, both vaccinated and non-vaccinated, or is this a non-issue in the locker room? Well, you've heard a little bit about it, and mostly from my perspective, that's come out of Edmonton, right? Because they had the issue there. They had the COVID outbreak. That game was postponed. They're going to play it closer here to the end of the year. But they're going to play three games in seven days. Like, the players decided they would play that to get paid. But, yeah, I think really at the start of the season, there not necessarily was division, but there was a lot of hesitancy, right? But by and large part, pro athletes and their mentality is, well, they're going to do anything to help their team win. So your best ability is availability. And I think that's what a lot of the players have done. You know, especially close to home here, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they've had a high percentage for a while now and been in the 90s, I would guess, if they're not at 100, because they want to be available to potentially play in that great cup in December. 
Now, uh, there's a, always this this concern about uh, you know confidentiality, Justin. Uh, when you mention these percentages, uh, does the league know uh, who has and has not been vaccinated individually, or just they just stick with the team numbers, the the percentage number? I don't necessarily know if the league office will know every single guy. The teams will. They'll have an idea, right? Because sure. they'll have to know, well, if this guy can't play, then we'll have to make a decision there. I would imagine, though, at the league level, they also would know so they can keep tabs and understand what's going on. So this is really, aside from the league policies, which have been in place since the, the league started, of course, uh, this is really news to them, but it's really only going to impact, I guess, uh, well, the, I guess the Eastern playoff, Western playoff, and then the, ultimately the Grey Cup, because November 30th is the deadline that the, the federal government said that we we're going to put these things in place right now. So uh, the regular season, I guess, is not in peril. It's getting into the playoffs, which is arguably the most important time for the for teams that want to win the Grey Cup this year. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what this is going to do. I mean, it's, it's a relatively fresh announcement. I mean, the prime minister just made it 24 hours ago. Uh, but what this is going to do, and if teams are going to probably try to exact more pressure on the unvaccinated players uh, to say, look, at we, we, we need you, uh, you know, we need you on side here and we need you to be vaccinated. Uh, are those discussions going to take place, do you think? Yeah, and that's already happening, right? The league has come out and said if you're unvaccinated, then you can't play in these games. Like you can't travel by a car, even though there's going to be the argument from the CFL Players Association and the league and admittedly even the PA has known that this has come, been coming for a while or felt like this was going to be coming for a while. They've been in communication constantly with the various level of public health officials in the country and especially the federal government. So they had to plan for this. This was part of what they talked about even before the season kicked off because they were trying to project, okay, how are we going to have to adapt and maneuver to make sure we get through an entire season? So this is not a surprise by any means to anyone in the league. You know, you and I talked about even just getting this league underway for 2021, and 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 it was amazing that uh, there was a, a sense of agreement between the players, the players' association specifically, uh, and the owners and the league uh, to try to get this thing together. And I think there's some sense of unanimity. Uh, I'm wondering if this is going to cause a crack in that now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's always the players and league are kind of unanimous, like you said. Like I don't know if they're always as together. Um, as people maybe want to think that they are, this unvaccinated mandate or unilateral policy, let's say, was communicated from the league and wasn't even told to the CFL Players Association. So there's a lack of communication there. That's something that's been constant over the years, and I think it would be much better if they worked together and if the league was in communication with the PA and saying, hey, this is what we like to do the PA saying, well, we feel like this is fair for our players and have that back and forth and then come to a decision. But that's not how the league operates by large part because the league feels like it can push around the players and they feel like there's always going to be a surplus of people that want to play football. So in this instance, if you're unvaccinated, that's your decision. We're going to go find somebody else. Well, more to come on this, I'm sure, in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, we'll stay in touch on this. Justin, thanks for the time today. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon. You bet, Bill. Stay well. Justin Dunk, founder of Three, Dog, uh, Three Down Nation, which is, by the way, a great blog and a great way to stay in touch with what's going on with the Canadian Football League, especially as we get down into the short strokes here toward, heading towards playoff time. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.